Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. To that end, we have three central rungs to our writing manifesto. Number one, to help you write more. Number two, to help you write better. And number three, to help you be a little bit happier as you do that. The show is comprised of lots of different strands. Um, I often have guests on, uh, mainly authors, where I talk to them about their writing process and about stories, about how they got into it, about all sorts of different parts of life and um, how their experiences feed into their work and, and hopefully try and tease out of them some uh, tips, some things they've learned along the way so we can all um, make a little bit of progression with our own writing. I also sometimes get readers, listeners, first pages and um, look at them and give my feedback on how I think I could make we could make those better. And I haven't done one of those for a while and people have been sending me some so my plan is for the very very next episode of this here podcast to be uh, a little first page uh, critique I used to call them when I when death of a thousand cuts years and years ago used to be a blog I used to call it in the barber's chair because I was trying to extend the death of a thousand cuts uh, imagery the uh, leitmotif of this editing, cutting things down. Anyway, the, I'll do one of those next episode. Um, this week I've been a little bit busy with writing, etc. And so I thought today, just to keep the episodes coming out, which isn't a good, isn't a good reason to record a podcast. It's like, well, I'm not really interested. I haven't got any content and I'm not really interested in quality. But just for consistency's sake... I'm going to record. I'm recording one of my writing ramble episodes, which is basically where I just set the mic up, press record, and then talk about whatever comes to mind with no script, no planning. Uh, just it's just a way of me doing a little diary entry, and I think also because of the previous couple of episodes, I've wanted to talk more about what's been going on for me and what's been going on this year, and. Um, about some things related to writing and all that kind of business but I've not wanted to because I have a tendency to do like a like between sort of 10 to 20 minutes of intro every time I have a guest on anyway just getting random admin out the way and bits of intro about them and then I end up doing a kind of commentary on the talk you're about to hear which is you know, you don't want to hear me editorialising about someone you're about to hear or I'm I'm bigging them up, which in my experience, you know, what I've done as a compare at gigs, like you don't want the compare to overhype the act coming up because at some point you're just like, well, maybe if you get out, if they're so good, why don't you get out the way? Why are you preventing me from seeing them? And also, I don't know if you've ever had the thing of like someone really recommending a band or a TV show or a book to you going, you've got to check this out. You've got to play it you've got to see it you've got to read it when loads of people do that there's part of you I don't know if you're like me but where you kind of start internally resisting a little bit you're like well I'll you know I'll be the judge of that or you start thinking what if I don't like it maybe you know I, I, I want to have the space the freedom to have my own opinions about stuff and you start feeling slightly resentful and so if I spend too long bigging up the person I'm about to bring on I feel <laughs> in my head at least, and this is entirely a conversation, a kind of pinging about that happens in my own brain. I imagine people are starting to go, 
well, you know, maybe I'm not going to enjoy this guest, Tim. Did you think about that before you started you started legislating how I'm supposed to feel about the person you're on? And then then I'm like, gosh, I'm doing a disservice to the person I'm bringing on now because I'm because of my uh, uh, cack handed attempts to to lift them up to 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 you know make my audience feel warmly towards them to make the listener feel like they've got some kind of relationship with them already i'm actually i'm actually torpedoing them before they even get a chance to open their mouth god tim shut up shut up this is these are the kind of this is the kind of dialogue that is this is the this is the neurotic dialectic that continues in my brain day to day hour to hour when i'm doing when i'm second guessing stuff not all the time look i mean you know most of the time when i record it's um very enjoyable it's very therapeutic i like talking about stuff i get to finally talk about stuff i care about if you've never heard a a, you know writing ramble episode by the way then you know here be dragons tends to be rather discursive um rather repetitive and, and 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 long it's um you know, we can restyle that as raw, if you like. You know, if you if you want to try and make it uncut, unfiltered Tim Clare with his opinions and stuff coming at you with some lukewarm takes on creative writing and life in general sometimes. Um, but, you know, this is not... It's not usually a fantastic jumping off point for the podcast if you're not already kind of familiar with the um law of the podcast and um what i do and you're not already super super bought in to the tim clare character you know this is this is definitely um this is definitely a kind of special episode or or even a dvd extra of the podcast rather than the core content. Look, look, actually, look, you know, lots of people write and say that they enjoy these episodes. I just think there's different stuff for different people and, and this happens to be very different, but I really enjoy doing these. Anyway, not, you know, the dialogue in my head a lot of the time when I'm doing those intros is just don't take longer than than you need to. I always do, but um, I think if I didn't have that restraint, I would take even longer to over explain what people are about to hear so what I've left out is just all the kind of catching up stuff that I enjoy doing where where you know you're listening to this podcast and maybe you listen to it on the day it comes out or you know on the week it comes out or maybe you're catching up with it much much later but it's nice just to kind of mark the passing of time and talk about how I am and check in with people and say hello and just you know maintain this kind of because I get so many letters from listeners especially people who um are completing one of the two courses the couch to 80k writing boot camp my eight-week course or the 100-day writing challenge uh, and it's I get I get letters every I get letters every week still from both of those things and I think this year has been a particularly bumper year for uh people doing learning at home projects that aren't too grueling and so I you know I don't I I feel like every time I obviously the the coronavirus pandemic has been a bad thing overall I I I think that's my uncontroversial take on it uh however i i do seem to have been a an, a beneficiary 
of of it so that does kind of that does kind of make me a suspect in its in its release into the population but um it's i've had loads of loads of people who've written to me and talked about you know because i get to the end of it people get to the end of it and i guess i've just been kind of muttering in their ear for, for at a minimum several months which is weird right <laughs> or well, well weird weird sounds too negatively valenced we could say it more neutrally it is um unusual it's an unusual situation to have that one way communication during a re and it's quite you know it's quite it's quite intimate as well you're kind of you're kind of speaking into someone's ear and then they're doing they're doing they're on this kind of journey of self-discovery is too cliched but they are going through a process you know of creating and taking risks and I'm holding their hand during that it's a very privileged position but people get to the end of it and they often want to write to me I think also because I actively prompt people to tell me how they got on so not always spontaneous right like I'm stepping in going uh I'm, I'm very lonely please let me know how you get on and I love I read all of the letters I get and um and so I so uh, so it then prompts a kind of reciprocal thing in me we always want to kind of like complete these loops of communication and dialogue right and so people message me and I can't oh I can't always um don't always have the time and I can't always be asked to um reply in the way that each of these letters deserves but um you know people let me know listeners let me know what they're getting on with in their lives about their writing about lots of quite personal stuff I mean especially this year people have right across the board had difficult years some people I'm glad to say have found things that have really helped them this year they've found new meanings and they've been the kind of like pressure of the pandemic has pushed them into discovering new activities and some of those have been writing some people have had breathtakingly shit years and there's no way of sort of glossing over that but we can do something that they call in the literature cognitive reappraisal where which isn't about being pollyannaish it isn't about denying the negative aspects of something but we can because human beings as I'm sure you know we have a sort of built-in negativity bias it's you know fundamentally in, in in terms of our kind of like perception it's more important that we notice the wolf lying in wait in the undergrowth than the um beautiful moonbeam breaking through the arboreal canopy uh, because one of those is is very nice and it's lovely to appreciate nature but but the but the other one will kill you and people who prioritized the i mean i'm getting into evo psych here and um i know lots of people are very uh disparaging about um e evolutionary psychology but all psychology to a certain extent is making some kind of evolutionary claim and we can hypothesize that people who were better at appreciating um, the play of moonlight uh, upon the uh, leaves of a midnight forest um, than spotting wolves were less likely 
to survive, to pass on their genes to the next generation. And so human beings over time, and we've, we've developed a little bit of a bias um, towards, and, and we did pre being human, I mean, that bias was already there when we became human beings, of course, because we've been lots of different species um, before then. Uh, we're just negatively biased, right? And, um, you know, the cognitive reappraisal is about using our higher uh, processing, our conscious processing, our prefrontal cortex and all those sort of like more complex ways of, of, of interpreting the world to, to say, well, what else, what's been good this year? You know, what have I discovered this year? Or, or you know, in any situation, right, in any kind of like bad situation, we can we can look at it and we can say, in what ways did I learn from the difficult things? And in what um, and what unexpectedly good things have come out of this, and then and what uh, good things have just been happening all the time, but I don't they don't pop in my memory because they were good, and therefore they don't seem to as urgently demand my attention. And lots of people writing to me have sort of shared the really difficult stuff, but alongside that, they've talked about how doing a little bit of writing every day has given them. A sense of meaning and I've been really appreciative of that and this is all a long-winded way of saying that's why I, I always want to record these episodes where I talk about my what I'm doing and the craft because I it, it makes me feel like I'm in dialogue with a bunch of really cool people and I just want to say hello back and this is the most efficient way because that's what you know what you want to prioritize in any kind of relationship is efficiency of communication over anything else um but so this is the most efficient way of me talking to people and talking about stuff and I, I think actually i would love to talk about that idea of meaning i'm not going to do another talk about you know writing when you don't feel like it or writing in difficult times because i've covered those topics um that horse that dead equine has been thoroughly um beaten by me has been flogged um to a to a ragged pulp over multiple episodes where i work out some of my um mental health <laughs> issues via the medium of writing but i think like i i'm i'm really interested in well look i, I actually like i i was listening to i don't know if you've heard the blind boy podcast um it's a really i've been looking for a fantastic podcast that covers like mental health issues a thoughtful kind of personal one that are so many that i look for that are about psychology are actually motivational podcasts for self-employed um open bunny quotes entrepreneurs close bunny quotes that are like how to double your sales how to have a great attitude how to how to influence people through your body language and stuff and, and, and shit like that. All with sort of people trying to flog their own self-help books. And, you know, like some of that, I'm not I'm not saying like, you know, trying to be positive and stuff is inherently a bad thing. But they're very cheesy, air punching. Um, there's very little scepticism in it. There's normally a very upbeat presenter accepting everything that their guest tells them. Uh, rather than questioning it, digging into it. And I, I just kind of like go, oh, come on, please. Um, and as, a, as they share life hacks. But the Blind Boy 
podcast is a is a weird sort of mix of the, he's read out some of his short fiction he occasionally has sort of guests on talks about uh current affairs topics of the day and uses them as jumping off points to like sometimes talk about history lessons it's all kind of like monologues uh but he also talks about mental health his own experiences of it he was partly trained uh didn't finish his psychotherapist training i understand but you know did you know did some training in that field after going through his own mental health challenges at art college and getting some therapy and, and really f- finding that it um, helped him and hearing him talk about some of those issues I've really enjoyed so I really recommend checking it out he did a couple of episodes relatively recently where he talked about uh, gestalt psychology gave a little bit of background uh, into that and then moved on to talking about in the next episode depression and anger and how those things can sort of like arise and proactive ways of dealing with them um especially kind of like with the nods to the kind of restrictions we're under during the pandemic um i'll put a couple of links in the show notes to his show because i and to those episodes specifically because if you don't listen to it and it's a very popular podcast he's had like 25 million listens or something like that so um you know it's doing well but if you haven't listened to it which i hadn't it's a really considered um down to earth intelligent but unpretentious uh entertaining thoughtful and uh i think you know really interesting uh podcast and um i you know got a lot out of it anyway um the reason i bring it up is cuz he was you know, he talked a little bit about um some of the theories behind uh gestalt psychology and this idea of like narratives in our life and this idea of closure he was talking about completing the gestalt and I, it made me think of um something which he didn't explicitly talk about but w- uh, uh, something that came out of uh gestalt uh psychology um this um this thing called uh, i don't know if you heard of the zygernic effect uh, this was uh, named after a Soviet psychologist called uh, Bloomer Zygernik. And um, I should say, I, I'm super aware of this now, having researched all these areas for over a year. Um, the, n- n- it was, you know, it was Box, famously, the mathematician Box famously said, um, all models are incorrect. And uh, n- none of these... Uh, explanations I talk about in like psychological models are um, are sort of necessarily true I would see them more let's get away from it being scientific so much as more of a kind of like metaphor or analogy a way of looking at stuff um, a kind of lens Um, you know the zygonic effect I'm about to talk about um, there's an element to which it's uh, you know lots of people have challenged how replicable it is and whether it's true so like i think it's really interesting and it definitely has that kind of like face validity where we go oh yeah i know that um but i just in case any uh psychologists are listening or any scientists are listening researchers i just want to care i i just want to be clear i am well aware that this is not some kind of proven you know across all psychology we have a replication crisis of course but like i uh, just to preface it by saying i understand that the zygonic effect is, is is by far from being a universally agreed phenomenon. However, for the now now I've got that kind of large caveat out the way. The zygonic effect is basically talking about this tension 
that happens when you start an activity it's inter and it's interrupted and the idea is that like when you start an act if you start something off and then it's interrupted um you can more easily recall it so the idea is that people remember unfinished or interrupted tasks better than when we complete a task and the classic example is a waiter going into a restaurant remember when when waiters existed uh when they they go into a, a a restaurant and they take somebody's order and they um are able to remember that lengthy order until the point they get to the kitchen and they tell the order to the chef at which point immediately after that it's kind of like been dumped out of their memory and it disappears and there was this idea with the kind of like uh zygernic effect so the the idea is that if you stop something um halfway through if you leave a task uncompleted if you leave that kind of like window open you can remember it better but and here's the sort of thing that i think is important for us as writers and the reason why i'm going to get on to writing that it it's remaining in our memory comes with a cost it establishes what has been called a task specific tension there's it's a, you know it's a bit more cognitively accessible but there's a tension there there's a kind of itch there's a an anxiety that arises a something slightly arousing not in a sexual way just in a kind of like autonomically arousing you know you, when you start something and you've not closed off that little narrative that bit of the story and thus um if you because we're often starting loads of tasks over a day if we leave loads of things unfinished undone we are so sort of like gestalt psychology would predict opening up all all these t- like micro anxieties over and over and over and over and over and we never get to finish that bit of the story we never get to close the narrative we never get the release and the satisfaction of having closed the book on that thing uh and it remains the anxiety the little the little jolt of nervousness is a way of our mind keeping it in our field of attention making it easier for our brain to access it to get hold of the memory but it means that when we don't finish things when we leave things unfinished when we don't seek as you know is often popularly referred to in kind of like ideas about therapy and stuff we don't get closure on something and this can be obviously it can be really large like a a relationship you never got closure on you know you broke up you never found out why you never had that discussion right down to something as small as answering an email something as small as doing as 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 hanging out some clothes that you put through the washing machine something as small as finishing that book you started reading 
finishing that series. Tiny, tiny micro narratives in one's life that we don't complete. This model would predict would kind of like leave that kind of like blinking dashboard light of arousal and anxiety. Something in us saying this is unfinished, this is unfinished, this story is unfinished. And it strikes me that that is a particularly prescient hazard and a, and a very literal hazard for fic, for writers. I was going to say fiction writers, but non, you know, I'm writing non-fiction at the moment. Um, for any of us, the moment an idea starts to form in your head, uh, it comes with a kind of tension doesn't it because that's not you know if you think of the arc of idea to it, 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 it it's the arc goes from idea to completed story doesn't it it's not just like i had an idea that was the end of it i walked away i mean for some people that is but if you're a writer then i don't like the idea of identifying as as writers i think that kind of like that idea of making it a global identity is, comes with so many problems that it often makes us more miserable than is worth it or i think i think it certainly gives us a, con, a constricted sense of our own humanity but this idea that um as soon as as soon as an idea pops into your head that makes you go oh it's a little bit like somebody has given you a dinner order and you're now a waiter carrying that round. And it creates a tension. And some of us have had the experience of not being able to sleep because an idea has popped into our head. And if you... So, so immediately writing becomes a thing that increases what has been called in psychology the allostatic load, which is that level of autonomic arousal right and and the allostatic load is often talked about this kind of like curve of arousal right that if you have absolutely no stress whatsoever you won't get out of bed you're not motivated to do anything right if you don't have any feeling of like oh that little urge to go to do something and then that curve of like how much arousal results in how much productivity goes up 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 and then it 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 performs a, a sudden dip back down where you get too stressed and it becomes paralyzing too stressful and you can't do anything for this these feelings of anxiety and stress uh so you want a little bit of a tug right a little bit of a kind of oh that's an idea i feel like an itch i feel like i want to go and write that down i feel like i want to explore that idea but for many of us like the ideas don't necessarily come on their own We'll have other ones already open. We might be at a different stage in a different project. And we might have all these other things in our life. You know, like I need to go and check my bank balance. I need to return this phone call. Um, I never followed up with that friend that I've been meaning to. I ought to write down a to-do list, um, which I haven't even done. I need. I want to have a shower. I had an idea that I should... A baker, a loaf of walnut bread, but I haven't followed through on it. So that's an open browser window. You have all these things that kind of open and and tugging 
at you. Um, I, I should I, I should say the the the, the zygonic effect often gets um, uh, confused and conflated with what's called the um, Ovzian Kina effect, uh, which is is kind of like says that when a task is interrupted. Um, it, it ends it, it ends up feeling like uh, to complete it create the uh, we, we we get a need to complete it and um we get we even might get intrusive thoughts that are trying to get us to take up the task again so it's not these organic effect is about it creating a memory it making the task easier to recall the um obviously in Kina effect is the stress that comes from that extra memory as well so those are two they're they're very 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 intimately linked um but they're not quite the same thing um so as creative people whatever sort of thing you're doing whether you're doing non-fiction fiction whether you write songs whether you write um role-playing games whether you know even if you are managing tasks for like a business or something and they're not even creative tasks all this undone stuff and ideas creates a bunch of unclosed books. Un- it's just constantly opening new projects. And the less you finish stuff, the less closure you get on stuff. And the more that feeling of stress, which starts off at a micro level, all of these things are harmless individually, but it's the cumulative effect of them building up, of like going, oh, I had an idea of this about this character. I've always wanted to write about them, but I never took it forward. Not being able to let go of things because you didn't find some way of putting it down, of taking it to a stage where there's some closure on that bit. Not essentially taking the order to the chef is I think for loads of people who do creative writing a source of unconscious and uh, unacknowledged stress that they have no idea about in fact I think it's one of the key uh, causes of procrastination because we associate writing and getting to the page with the sudden rising in awareness of all these unheeded voices, all these unfulfilled orders. And it is easier just to step away from the computer, step away from the notebook to retreat from that feeling of yearning, this great unresolved chord that hangs in the air and we're desperate for it to return back to that C major that the that the that the that the, 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 the melody started with. And we can't, but and and it, and it's easy just to avoid it. And we think we're lazy, we think we're bone idle, we think we're you know perversely self sabotaging. But I wonder, and I've sometimes likened this to kind of like the process of grief and mourning. But I, I wonder if the way round that and the way that we need to process that as writers is to find ways of laying some of these things to rest and putting them down. And one way, one practical way I would suggest of doing that is to have yourself 
a notebook, a physical notebook, or if you really, really can't um, use a physical notebook either because of um, space limitations in where you live or because you have some kind of physical restriction that makes it very difficult to you know hold a pen or something like that, I would I would say, you know, in which case you can, you know, just open some files on your computer, but you need, and I, I say you, and I say, I mean, we, and I've always found that this benefits me. So I'm speaking from personal experience. If your experience is different, that's absolutely fine. But to have a notebook and to make space for noting down ideas, noting down your thoughts about them, collecting quotes, collecting things as they arise in your attention and storing them in the in the kind of like coal shed of your creativity and spend spending that moment you know to write a page of the idea for this particular book spending that moment writing down the names of the characters or the ideas of where the story could go spending a moment you know, writing a kind of, making that kind of carpet sample of what you think the tone of the story might be. Writing a first page or a bit from the middle or whatever, just to get a sense of that. Noting things down, noting down the ideas, even if in doing so, it's not just about not forgetting it. It's about this is the thing is it's not just about not forgetting the idea or I better note it down because that's such a brilliant idea. I don't want to lose it. That's not really the purpose. The purpose is actually, and it's going to sound rather perverse really, but just bear with me. The purpose is to kind of kill off some of those ideas, I think. To let them complete in some minor way on the page so that they don't continue gestating and mutating in your head and giving you this ambient stress where you've got to keep kind of like squeezing them like a chew toy and you can let them go. Now, immediately, you may have spotted a, 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 a risk with this. You may I mean, This may seem like a bad idea because you're like, well... Sometimes I kind of write the idea down quickly, you know, note it down, do a little bit of a, you know, half-assed job. And then in having done that, yeah, I do sort of let it go a little bit. And then it kind of loses its luster. That actually, that tension, I've got to let it build and build and build. Kind of like a, I mean... The the the, the 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 sexual metaphor is staring us all in the face uh, rather crudely, but uh, this this building tension you want it to get all water behind a dam, which still sounds sexual, but like this idea that it builds and builds and builds until it's kind of undeniable that the way to write is to let attention build and build and build until you're like I have to write the story because it's absolutely destroying me. That's often kind of posited as the kind of platonic ideal of, of creativity that the ideas have to sort of bully their way into your mind become an obsession and then you write them down in a big splurge well maybe all i can say is 
I'm not sure how sustainable that is from a sort of mental health perspective. I often find that writing, I mean, maybe it should be quite emotional, but like, I I mean, like, uh, he, I mean, all right, so here's the downside about letting go of some of those things, closing the page, finishing a project. I finished the first draft of the non-fiction book I've been working on for the past year. And I sent it off to my editor and I tried to get on with some other stuff, some other fiction. And I just fell into like a really bleak depression. And there's been other stuff going on this year, not just the pandemic, although I think that's been a contributory factor, you know, some stuff in my life as well. So I'm not sure it's wholly about that. But all I can say, and, 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 you know, there's been other stuff as well, but all I can say is when I got it back and I got to start working on a second draft, my mood did pick up, you know, like I felt like I was involved in doing something that felt personally meaningful and the tension of the uncompleted thing. gives me a reason to get up in the morning I have other reasons to get up in the morning as well in case that sounds too bleak but it's you know it's meaningful work so having those tensions are not are not it's not in itself bad I suppose what I'm talking about is when you've got well I'm t- I mean I'm you know let's not beat around the bush I have like at least five novels that I'm working on at the moment and it's too many and actually in this kind of like in the month while I was waiting to hear back about my non-fiction book, I reread one that I've re- written about 45,000 words of. Um, and it's all written in the first person. It's all sort of narrated by a, a goblin. And I hated it. I, I was enjoying it, writing it so much when I was writing it. And I read it back and I was like, this is dog shit. I hate it. I hate it so much and yet I've still got this uh, yearning inside me to I've got this tension now where I don't want to finish it because I don't like it and I could be going mad right like I'm aware that like I've had really negative views about my work before and then other people are going to like this and then when they've said they like it I look back at it and go well maybe I do like it and my view of what I've written has changed so I'm real I'm aware that I suppose I could be wrong but, you know, by my best judgment at the moment, I think it's, I just don't like it. I think it's a bit crap and it doesn't read very well to me. And the voice isn't convincing and it's a bit laboured and confu- and like hard to understand at a fundamental level. It's not like just this is bad. It's like this is hard to pass sentence by sentence. Is the comprehensibility is poor before you get even to the story. So I kind of want to knock it on the head, even though it's been a lot of work. But at the same time, I had this yearning to finish it. I mean, how do you, how do you kill a novel? You know, how do you, how do you bury it and mourn it so it's not an open loop in your head tugging at your attention? I've got another one that I think I read a first an early first page of this about a necromancer's assistant or as they're when they're exiled to a, an island I went back to that I thought do I want to I started trying to rewrite that I've only written about just under 10,000 words of that and I got a little bit into it and then I 
sort of lost my way again. I, I quite like the voice and the idea of it, but I don't know... Don't know whether I can finish that. And then there's another one, which is based on a, a one-shot role-playing game that I wrote and ran years ago, which has got, at the moment, ten different narrators, which is too many. And I reread some of the, those voices and I was like, oh, I do like these voices, but then some bits aren't very good. And so then that's open in my head. And then I had another idea when I was in the park and I was like, oh my God, I want to write this. And here's the whole world and here's the main characters and here's the tone and here's what would sort of like happen and where it would start and some of the feel of it. And I, I sort of started to think about that. And then I tried to write the first page and sort of lost some of my enthusiasm. But now that's an open loop in my head. And and, and then and that was you know, going to be a sort of like maybe a kind of like fantasy novel, but maybe trying to simplify my language a little bit because I always write it so baroque and kind of uh, kind of like diesel punk London and then and then I and then I've added and then there's another idea which I had knocking around for like a really silly tropey adventure with like dungeon crawling in and stuff but but you know, with all and I coming up with loads of different characters for that as well, and oh my god, I've got so many open loops in my head, and it's knackering, and it's dispiriting because sometimes it's made me feel like oh my gosh, I've got so many irons in the fire, I've got so much on the go. Maybe I'll finish them all, and I'll like, and I'll, I'll just be firing up multiple novels simultaneously, and people will be like, "Shit, he's so prolific!" And I'll be like, "Yeah, I know." And look at my wide range, and then. You know, he who chases two rabbits catches neither. I, it's 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 dividing my attention, and I think some of them need to be um, taken out around the back of the stables and humanely destroyed, just to mentally close some of those loops in my head because it's tiring. And it's not good for creativity. And of course, I'm trying to do this, actually, while I've got a main project, which is doing my nonfiction book. So it might might be obvious that, like, actually, one of the reasons it's hard for me to dive into something new entirely is because I'm finishing something else that I care about a lot. So unsurprisingly, I can't just, like, ping pong between multiple orders, which is fine. But... What I'm suggesting to you is I, I I don't know where you are with your projects. You know, whether you've got one big one that's been like bugging you for years that you've never got round to, that you need to either have a run at or take down from project status, like close the book saying, I'm not going to write this. Maybe you write a page on it, just noting down the ideas and saying one day I will come back to this after you know maybe you need maybe you need to officially write it down and then write at the bottom and I'm never going to write this you know like formally hold a you know mourn it and say I'm not going to do it maybe you need to write down the ideas and do a kind of pro and con list you know What's good about this? What's bad? What are going to be that? What are the likely difficulties that I I might face? Um, in fact, that's one of the. I believe that there was a 
you know one ex- psychological ex- psychology experiment looked at people setting goals and stuff and found if i'm remembering this correctly that people were more likely to achieve a goal if rather than picturing themselves when they'd completed it if they bef- before doing it before attempting it were asked to note down all the possible barriers and challenges they might face in completing that goal and come up with one or two ideas for each one of how they might overcome that problem, that barrier, that difficulty when it arose. And those people were more likely to achieve their goals. Now, that could be useful. That could be useful for me, right? Um, we, we, I, I think my way of working has often been quite scatty, quite all over the place. I think I was quite enjoying writing the goblin thing until I came to a sort of impasse plot-wise. And then when I showed it to other people's, some people like, I don't really get it. Some people quite liked it. But I feel like, I feel like apart from like the opening line, it kind of maybe sucks ass. Or, or it just doesn't really work. And I would, it's been so long since I've written something that wasn't just for a project, right? That wasn't just a project piece that was explicitly a fuck around. And so what I'm definitely going to start doing is getting my, as a way of warming up, because I'm, I'm getting to the stage where I'm about to finish this non-fiction book, right? And I want to get, I want to do fiction next. And one of the things that I think I need to do, or that I want to do, or that will help, I think there's two main things, right? One is, you know, really hitting the fiction, reading fiction for fun and reading some stuff around the kind of area that I might like to write my next project in just to get me in that headspace. I think it's always really useful. I think it it's not about just like nicking people's style, although inevitably you learn stuff from reading it. But I think it just... Um, there's a, there's the psychological experience of seeing it can be done, seeing that stories can and are written around this area um, in this style for this audience. You go, oh, yeah, like other human beings have got here. I can do it, too. But the other thing is just going to be getting my notebook and doing some flash fiction. I might even go on like Twitter or something and ask people for like some one word prompts and do some like little 250 word warm-ups you know one a day something like that just for myself stuff that explicitly can't really be used for anything although i know mentally i'll start going maybe i could make this into a thing maybe i could collect these maybe this is the beginning of a novel or whatever but the idea being to just flex my creative muscles a little bit to take some of my own advice and you know, because I get people feeding back from having done 10 minutes a day for 100 days, right? Talking about how they feel more confident, how they... And I'm like, Tim, have you ever fucking written for 10 minutes a day for 100 days? No, you haven't. <laughs> like, you absolute fraud, you hypocrite. You haven't done any... You haven't done that. Like, no, you, I haven't. I haven't ever done my own course. Obviously not. So I'm getting feedback from people who've done something that I never have. And they're, they're and, and they're talking to me as if I'm the kind of mentor figure, and I'm like, you know more than me. You've do, you've you've done this. I've just told you to do it. It's like I've been sitting there, kind of like picking my teeth, 
suggesting that you do squats. You're the one getting strong. You're the one who's now fit. I haven't done this stuff. I just told you, do it and you'll get better at writing. Well, you have. I haven't done it, so I haven't. So I need to take a little bit, a little dose of my own medicine, do some free writes, do some creative challenges, take myself back to the gym in a way that is going to let me start, you know, because like it, this kind of like tension isn't, like I say, it isn't inherently bad, but it's, it is bad if you set up a yearning that you then never fulfill because that, that unmet need can cause anxiety, it can cause pain, it can cause frustration, it can cause disappointment. And it, like I say, it causes procrastination, it causes feelings of inadequacy, it causes the page to become, you get a bit of page fright. And then, like, and, and so you need to kind of like put down some of those things, to leave some of those stones by the side of the road, to admit to yourself you're not going to get time to write all these stories, so you can free up space inside yourself for the stories you are going to write. And for me, some of that is going to be doing a bit of training. Some of it is going to be explicitly saying, OK, well done for doing this. And kind of saying goodbye to some stories and, and closing them off as possibilities. It's also going to partly be about embarking on picking one and embarking on it and committing to finish it no matter how, you know, dissatisfied I am with it midstream. I think I need to go through and finish a fiction project, uh, which has always been a challenge for me. It always brings me up against myself. It always brings me up against negative self-perception and self-criticism and feelings of inadequacy and that nothing I do is ever good enough and doesn't meet my own standards. It's hard, you know, I, I still try to motivate myself through perfectionism in a ultimately self-defeating way. And, and and as much as I go, right, I'm going to just hammer through this, it's never that easy. I see stuff coming out and I'm like, I'm hammering through this and it's bad. Why do I want to write something bad? Now, I know from experience that a day writing something bad is better than a day writing nothing. It still advances the cause, even if that cause is just to practice you know, working out what isn't working for you, just practice writing, just getting the fingers moving. It's still, you've still kind of like cleared the pipes. You've still done something that means you know more at the end than you did at the beginning. But I I find having patience and trust in that process, and it really does come down to trust ultimately, uh, I find it tricky. And sometimes when other writers say, oh, you just got to get moved through it, you know, you've just got to, you know, I write X number of words a day. I find myself, honestly, and I'm not proud of this, I find myself being judgmental. I think, yeah, well, you're, you probably have lower standards than me. You know, maybe you're, maybe, you know, maybe you, maybe, like, maybe your writing is a bit shit. And that it comes from feelings of, insecurity on my part it comes from feelings of jealousy it comes from you know 
feeling jealous of them that they can write you know in a way that seems much more free than I can uh and I want to find I want to find ways internally you know I don't say it out loud obviously but uh, to tear them down a bit because I feel threatened by it and I you know I feel very threatened by it because you know we get this one miraculous life to do with what we can and and I struggle sometimes to get my stories out because I have such reflective self-criticism such reflexive self-criticism I should say and um so that's what I'm going to do I'm going to try doing some of these little games but the other thing I wanted to say was another way if that tension is building up the other side piece to this these kind of like tensions that are building up from uncompleted tasks from narratives that you haven't gone all the way through and and, and to be clear like like i say it isn't negative because it is it gives you a form of that narrative is your form of a sense of meaning like all of these things are meaningful struggles but there's only so many we can deal with right and so another way to reduce that kind of like ambient tension is to look at all the other places in your life where there's large and small loops that you can complete be that tidying your room be that you know i found it stupidly therapeutic to note down a little to-do list not as a rod to beat myself over the week i don't have to do any of them but just to dump it out of my head onto a piece of paper and then just pick the fucking easiest thing the absolutely easiest thing i mean like literally if there is a book on the floor that you can pick up close and put on a shelf not a metaphorical book a literal one to clean up that little bit of floor for 10 seconds make that your next action just so you can have a little win you know like make your bed you know pick up three things off the floor wash a dish in your house something small that starts giving you a little sense of a win and some control so you can close that little loop and you can be moving forward in a way that like going on social media and just doom scrolling which you know or going on just reading reading endless news articles which is just the digital equivalent of picking your ass that never finishes with a sense of meaning or completion or something done or something ticked off a list and while you know i know cleaning can for example can be something that can get obsessive um just doing a couple of those things closing a couple of those loops shutting a couple of those browser windows in your mind can free up space that can make it easier to write you know if if the struggle with your sort of novel or your creative pieces that is the major sort of like meaningful arc in your day-to-day life then you can sort of prune away some of the smaller ones to give yourself more space for it although I do think it's really important to have sort of lots of I guess this is difficult when I'm talking about metaphorical and literal chapters but having lots of sub goals within it you know getting to a thousand words getting to 10,000 words reaching 20,000 words writing this particular scene uh, whatever you make 
having spent a day doing it or something like that, having put in so many hours of writing or whatever. I know a token economy leads to token learning and we don't want to focus too many on extri- too much on extrinsic goals rather than intrinsic goals, how you feel when you're doing it. Um, but having like little moments where you can appreciate how much work you've done and essentially close the book on that little bit of the writing because like a novel can take you over a year easily and that is a long time to have this just like have this yearning in your heart and then you finish it and you know like as in my experience you might get really depressed because that was giving you meaning it's like the character in the Sandman comics who um not the Sandman comics no it's, it's, it's to do with sand it's in the preacher character who uh, preacher has got the ability to use the voice of God to give people commands that they have to follow. That's his superpower. And he, um, uh, a character who's come to kind of, uh, a baddie who's come to get him on the beach, he commands to count the grains of sand on the beach. And the character begins to to do so, trying to count like a million grains of sand or whatever. And uh, actually, eventually manages to do it. Ages later, in the in the in the arc of the comics, and um, having done so, is distraught because it was while it was an onerous task, it was giving his life meaning. Um, so that's the danger of having like one big narrative arc that you're trying to close is that it creates a huge tension which when you close leads to a massive slump. <laughs> that's about the end of it. And what so what I'm saying here is having loads of micro arcs within it having lots of tiny narratives within your writing journey finishing a chapter and sharing it with someone maybe i mean i wouldn't advise sharing stuff too early um rewarding yourself for doing individual bits finding ways to eke meaning out of each bit and and then just also writing other shit right you know doing these micro exercises in your notebook every day so it's not just the only plate you've got spinning to give yourself the satisfaction of regularly creating whether to to make finishing the novel not the only game in town and not the only way to get closure to make it just one more thing that's going on in the background make it and and, and make it more of a process than a product I, th- I think that's a way just to take the edge off this feeling like when I get here, finally, you know, my great labour will be complete. We can't. That's not sustainable and you will burn out or you, you know, as I say, it's possible to s- sustain an entire very successful career as a novelist while feeling shit about the work you do, <laughs> being stressed and not enjoying it. I've spoken to them, right? These people exist and, and, and the purpose isn't to get, get rich, although I know you'd think that might be a nice problem to have. But at the end of the day, there, there is no amount of money that can um, 
compensate you for a, a life spent miserably. And so our main focus in whatever labour we um, choose to um, exchange for capital, our ultimate goal within life must be to make ourselves and other people be happy. And by looking ways for ways every day that you can complete these little narratives that you can you can kind of exploit the uh, zygernic effect and its tensions to motivate yourself but also to give yourself a sense of satisfaction and meaning and um, these kind of things that we create in stories right we uh, we open the tent that's how that's how fiction works right is opening attention at the beginning and un resolved question that draws the reader through and then we have smaller ones this push pull push and pull of um questions and answers to those questions all the way through a book right well this is you know how we experience a lot of life and i think remembering to give yourself some some good endings some conclusions some moments of resolution even if those are very small arcs, you know, like taking a really nice bath, uh, flossing your teeth, all of those can be little stories, tidying something up, making a... I, I, I did some, uh, I made some um, paper snowflakes with my daughter Suki, she's four, and we were folding them up and cutting them with scissors. She wanted to do it at first, and then I joined in, and I... I was really surprised how lovely and meditative doing arts and crafts was that I hadn't really done for ages. And I was like, I love this. And I made something at the end and I had that little tiny arc of starting working on something and then unfolding the snowflake and there it was, something completed and I got the end to my story. And I think, um, and if I'd been interrupted in the middle of it, I would have felt that tension. I want to go back and finish cutting out my my pattern so I can see what it looks like. I can see what it looks like when I unfold the snowflake. Right, I'm going to um, to stop there. I hope you enjoyed my talking about that. Like I say, it was inspired by hearing um, Blind Boy talk on his podcast about Gestalt psychology and just thinking about how some of those ideas might be encompassed, not only in the fiction we write, but in the life we experience around writing fiction um i hope you enjoyed that if you like the podcast and you want to drop me a few beans to keep the lights on then you can go to my coffee page ko-fi.com forward slash tim clare really appreciate um if you uh, want to help me uh, continue running the show because i really enjoy making it and um that's it really i hope you're doing well um, I hope this has inspired you to, you know, maybe dig out the old notebook and, um, you know, jot down a few notes, do a, maybe just try doing your little 10 minutes of free writing today, just to, that's a great way, you know, timed creative writing, yeah, it imposes an artificial arc on the, on the, on a, on a, essentially an unfinished project. There's a beginning, you write for 10 minutes there's an end you stop maybe put if you those of you are still doing like it's still got a wall calendar where you put a cross on it every day you do a 10 minute free write 
there's a sense of completion and that's why it feels good and you're doing something practical as well that helps boost your confidence and helps get your creative writing muscles working but you also make your brain feel like and now I'm done the order has been delivered to the chef the kitchen has this I can get on with my day right take care thank you for tolerating me thus far and I hope with all my heart you have a wonderful week of writing